Exceeding Expectations, Episode 12. Welcome to Exceeding Expectations, the show about creating exceptional experiences for your customers. The guests on the show typically have the mindset of loving to over-deliver on their customers' expectations and are forever thinking of creative ways of how they can do that with each customer they work with. This results in great testimonials and positive word of mouth spreads about them, which I think is what we all strive for. Because then you spend less money on marketing and advertising, less time on those activities, and customers want to work with you. So there's no persuasion required and price is far less relevant because people will always pay higher prices for a great experience. Today's episode is with the author of a book called What Customers Crave. The author is Nicholas Webb and this really is a fantastic book and and Nicholas delivers some great value in today's show. Before we get to that, there's a promo for a great podcast called The Genuine Chit Chat Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. I speak to a wide variety of guests, from travellers to musicians, to those afflicted with mental or physical illnesses. There's really no subject that's off limits, from movies to politics, and even controversial topics ranging from sex to drug reform and political correctness. So if you still believe in the art of conversation, are intrigued by healthy debates with different ideas and perspectives you may not have thought of, and want to podcast where every episode is about something different with a variety of guests, then this may be the podcast for you. You can hear us on YouTube and all your favourite podcast apps, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So if you want to hang out and listen to honest conversations with interesting people, then come to Genuine Chit Chat, where I'm your host, Mike Burton. Today's edition of Exceeding Expectations, I'm here with a man called Nicholas Webb, the author of What Customers Crave. How are you, Nicholas? Doing terrific, thanks. We had a, a brief discussion before the, the recording started, and you were telling me how well the uh, Customers Crave has been quite high in the charts ever since it was released. Yeah, you know, it's a tremendous honor anytime, you know, somebody accepts your body of work. And uh, I think that the approach that I tried to take with this was very pragmatic. And, you know, my goal was to deliver something that provided some real bread and butter, actionable insights. So I think right now, if you go into Amazon, it's almost always number one or number two out of customer experience books uh, out of, you know, some 50 to 60,000 search results. So yeah, very, very uh, fun to see that kind of enthusiasm after two years. Yeah, and there's a lot of competition in that arena, isn't there, in that particular area of books? There, there truly is. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing here is that, uh, you know, all of the competitive authors uh, are just incredibly bright that bring all new kinds of interesting perspectives. So, you know, unlike many other areas, uh, there really is no uh, competition. Uh, the, 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 the books that are out there are really additive. And, 
you know, also, I think that, uh, you know, the book has a lot to do with where you are on your customer experience journey. You know, if you are XYZ Corporation and you're a Fortune 2000 company, you may have already uh, reached a level of maturity where a book like this may not even be relevant. Whereas if you're mm. you know, a very small enterprise, you may not even begun the process. So, it, you know, I think a lot of it really does have to do with where they are in what we call the customer experience maturity cycle. And, and what was it that made you decide to write this in the first place? Well, you know, I've written several books on innovation. Innovation is, you know, what I do. Um, and when I, I've just been obsessed by the fact that the best brands in the world and the best innovations in the world uh, are no longer bright, shiny objects. These new innovations are really the way in which we architect exceptional human experiences. And, you know, Uber being an example, Uber didn't reinvent the physical taxi cab. They reinvented moments of movement. When you think about things like uh, Netflix, they didn't, you know, reinvent the Audi or the, the VCR uh, when they destroyed Blockbuster. They reinvented moments of movies. Right. So organizations that are able to reinvent these human moments across a range of customer personas, these organizations are really the innovation superstars. And, it, and it's just an incredible phenomenon that's so fun to watch. And so what is it that you do for for your job? You mentioned about sort of how you've been involved in innovation and with, with different companies. What exactly is it that you do? <laughs> well, that's, uh, you know, it's funny. My kids need a Ouija board and a global positioning satellite to try to describe what their dad does for a living. Um, so I, I guess the best way to describe that is I have three jobs. Uh, about a third of my time is dedicated to my role as the director for the Center for Innovation at Western U. And uh, Western U is uh, one of the most, if not the most, comprehensive medical schools in the world. We have actually nine medical colleges within our university. So I work mm -hmm. as an adjunct professor there, and I also work as the director for their Center for Innovation. So we have a big shop uh, doing a lot of amazing things in, in the area of healthcare innovation. Uh, and then I spend about a third of my time uh, traveling, speaking on the future, customer experience, uh, innovation, and healthcare. I do about 75 or more events worldwide each year. And then the other third of my time I spend on my management consulting practice where we provide innovation and customer experience consulting to cor corporate clients. Out of the three, is there, do you equally enjoy all of them or is there one that you enjoy sort of more than the others? You know, they say the difference between a good life and a bad life is really a good life has more interesting problems. And mm -hmm. I think at the Center for Innovation, where I have such a big obligation to this amazing university, I think that's the one that's the most fulfilling. I have an amazing team there. I get to collaborate with these genius medical students and the professors and faculty that I, I get to learn from. So I have to say that... Um, that is a special thing. I, I also, of course, really love speaking because I, I get to share my enthusiasm about innovation and the future and, and enterprise. So it's kind of hard to say, but I guess the university and then maybe speaking. And in uh, the book, What Customers Crave, there, there are so many amazing stories of companies that have gone out of their way to deliver a great, you know, great experiences for their customers. Do, do you have any particular favorite stories from your, from your book? I, you know, the, 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 the organizations that, uh, I'm fascinated by, uh, aren't always necessarily big multinational organizations. One that 
I'm extremely fascinated by because it was it was formed in 1957, if my memory serves me right, and that's In and Out Burger. And yeah. uh, In and Out Burger is a fast food restaurant. It also happens to be the best restaurant in the world. And by that, I mean that they have identified the range of customer personas that they serve, and they have architected probably as perfect of an experience as you could possibly ask for in the insanely competitive space of fast food. Um, mm -hmm. From the way in which you approach the building and the way that it looks, the, the, the visual elements of its cleanliness and and its style is amazing across virtually all personas. That first touch point when you drive through to order your burger, rather than there being 10,000 different items on the menu, there's, there's really only four or five things that you can order. And every one of those are perfect. And when you order, there is a uh, speaker that has been perfectly designed to provide a very clear and comfortable two-way dialogue with the order taker who is incredibly well-trained. Um, you, you drive through to this clear uh, pane glass window where you're watching them in this almost hospital-like cleanliness of their kitchen, making fresh French fries. It, people are smiling. It has, a, it has a, a buoyancy to it that's really amazing. And when you compare that to all of the other fast food burger joints, it's really pretty impressive that they've been able to scale and institutionalize that level of customer experience. Um, mm. and, and that's the kind of thing that, uh, that, that really I, I love, you know, certainly Apple is a good, the Apple retail stores are a good example of the, the scalability and institutionalization of great customer experiences. But there are many examples. Um, and the interesting thing is it's the least expensive way to grow your business. 89% of the top brands in the world are using customer experience design as the primary way that they're going to grow and scale their profitability. So it's it's I think it's a really important body of work. And since writing the book, have you had many companies contact you to to help them in those kind of areas? Yeah, absolutely. Almost overwhelming. We we have a we have a consulting uh, division that just does customer experience at whatcustomerscrave.com. And um, unfortunately, uh, oftentimes we we don't have the bandwidth. We we've been almost overwhelmed. Uh, it's mm -hmm. it's slowed down a little bit to where we're almost caught up. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a real honor. You know, um, when you put your your research and your methods out there and and people love it, it's it's just so gratifying. And and yeah, we we just really have been been so uh, blown away by the by the response. Has there been any situations where a company has come to you and at first you thought, wow, this is going to be really difficult to, to change the situation they have here? Or has there been anything along those lines? Yeah, you know, um, we do a lot of work in healthcare, and uh, And there was something that happened that I did not anticipate. Um, we assumed that most um, healthcare organizations, hospitals and clinics would realize that their patients are consumers. And we found that hospitals and clinics that were not willing to call their customers consumers, their patients consumers, that they don't make very good clients. So we have actually developed a range of questions to determine whether or not spiritually and psychologically an organization is really ready to make the change. I mean, I think you have two types of people that reach out. You have one group that they're going, our customers hate us. We need to fix it to sell more stuff. 
And then there's another group that just says, hey, you know, serving our customer and delivering ex exquisite solutions to those customers is part of our DNA. It's what we stand for. It's part of our mission that we're really committed to. Those are the customers that we love. Uh, the ones that can't call their patients consumers or the, uh, the organizations that really can't, um, that don't accept the fact that they have to deliver a highly consumerized product. We learned kind of the hard way. They don't, but we, there isn't much work we can do for them because at the end of the day, we can provide all the advice in the world, but unfortunately they have to be willing to deploy the advice in order for it to get a good return for them. And, and do you get resistance from them when you give them advice sometimes? Absolutely. Yeah. Because mm. I literally was just at a client last week and I was brought into their board of trustees meeting and uh, mm. because they wanted to ask their their customer experience consultant, some hard hitting questions. And uh, one of the questions that, uh, that, uh, that came up in a very big and powerful way with one of their main board members is why, what is the business case? What, what is the reason we should be doing? Why should we care? We're profitable now. We're a leader in our marketplace. Why should we care? And, you know, yeah. of course the answer is, is that, you know, in a time of market disruption and hyper consumerization, um, the bar, as most people call it, we call it the baseline level of expectation. That bar is constantly moving up. So the expectation mm -hmm. that a customer has continues to increase. And although, yes, it's true that organizations can be incidental with their customer experience and still be successful, it's not sustainable in a time where, you know, they're being trained by Apple and Amazon and others to, to get amazing solutions that are price transparent and beautiful across well-defined touch points. And, and I would imagine also that when they do take on board the suggestions you're making, there's, there's so many benefits, a lot of which they wouldn't be able to see initially. I mean, obviously, the, the staff, I, I guess, would be happier. Um, the, the, the customers are going to be happier. And so many other areas are going to all be affected by the, the changes that are made. Yeah, well, what's interesting is uh, when I was doing the research on this book, I found some really interesting anomalies in some of the research. I started to notice that the organizations that had the highest glass door rating and if, you know, glass door, of course, is a rating system where employees rate their employer uh, in this very thoughtful platform. And it turns out mm -hmm. as much as 95 percent of millennials today will not take a job until they have first looked on Glassdoor to determine if the organization is a great place to work. So what we found mm -hmm. was, is that the overall quality of work life significantly improves when you institutionalize customer experience strategies. You have far better returns on strategies. And in fact, if you, if you leverage technologies like enterprise social networks or collaborative networks, you can increase return on strategic initiatives by over 60%. So customer experience isn't just about happy customers. It's about improving the overall quality of work life. It's about attracting and keeping great talent. And, you know, I tell people there are two types of employees out there, potential employees. There are talented people and then there are unemployed people but there are no unemployed, talented people. And if you want them, you have to have an exquisite reputation across the community of employees via Glassdoor. So the, the benefits in terms of reducing costs, increasing returns on strategy, getting better insights to drive better innovation, to be able to get the one thing that we all want, and this 
body of work provides, and that is customer promotion, where our actual customers are serving as our marketing department. When you take a look at the enterprise benefits of customer experience design, it's hard to find much that you can do out there that has more impact for the for the least amount of money than customer experience. Some of the companies that have been more resistant maybe to taking on board some of the suggestions you've made, but they but they eventually have decided to go with it. Have any of them been really surprised by how just how many benefits they, they received? Yeah, I had um, I had the great honor of working for a uh, a very prestigious, maybe the most prestigious um, neurological clinic in the country, Mayfield Brain and Spine. And uh, you know, it's easy for a brain surgeon to assume that the the hallmark of their success is based on their clinical efficacy. But the truth of the matter is, is that patients really are lay. They don't know enough about the science and about the clinical processes to be able to determine if somebody is clinically efficacious. But patients do know one thing for sure, and they know what the experience was like. And uh, I was asked to come to work for them to help them build out a customer experience strategy. And, And the frustrating part for me in their particular situation is they were such a great organization. You know, I usually like to find more broken things, but they just wanted to fine tune the already great work that they were doing. And, uh, and so we did that. And, and I, was, I, was, uh, I think that they were amazed to see that there were many things that, because they, they were proud of the great work they did and for good reason, but I think that they were surprised to see how much they missed in terms of the opportunity to provide more relevancy and more value in their digital properties, ways to change what the experience looked like in their waiting rooms, ways to change the way in which they handled patient throughput. So, you know, that's one of the problems. In fact, Bain did a study that was pretty interesting. They interviewed hundreds of CEOs. And this is important because this is the genesis of the problem. This is why most organizations do not do well in customer experience. They surveyed them and they asked them a simple question. Do you consider that your organization is delivering exceptional experiences to your customer? 89% of the CEOs said, yes, absolutely. If I'm remembering the numbers correctly, 89%. Mm. And then they went and they asked their customers of these companies the very same question. Do you feel like this organization is, in fact, 89% of the time delivering exceptional experiences? And only 7% of those customers agreed with the companies. So there's a, there's a sense of customer experience dysphoria. There is, a, there is this delusional sense that, they, that they're much better than they are because at the end of the day, they don't really have good consumer insights and they're running their business much as they had the, in, 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 you know, in a time prior to digital ubiquity and to high levels of customer experience and to digital rating systems. They're, they were operating at a level that was way below just the baseline level of expectation. I think the biggest problem is most people never really start on this because they already, unfortunately, falsely believe that they're pretty good. And so how, if a company asks you to come in to, to help them out, so how would you go about devising a strategy? Do you have to sort of study them for a period of time and many other people come on in? To, I mean, how, how would you go about something like that? So it may be because of my background and all the work we do in healthcare, we sort of take a sequential approach that's very much like a diagnostic pathway and a treatment pathway that you would see in healthcare. 
Um, mm -hmm. We do a thing that we call a CX readiness assessment, where we look at about 56 different areas within the organization. We look at the culture. We look at the, the, the technology stacks and the software that they use to engage patients, our customers, depending on the kind of organization it is. We take a look at their current state of training. We take a look at how much they, uh, you know, what do they have punitive policies? We take a, we do a thing called netnography where we look at the digital footprint of what the social web is saying about the organization. So we go through what we call a customer experience readiness assessment. And that assessment creates these 50 some uh, scorecards. And the scorecards say, you know, here's where you should be and here's where you are in terms of say training or in terms of the way in which, uh, you know, they, they handle inbound telemarketing or whatever it may be. We, we look at it all. Mm -hmm. And then during that uh, dialogue with the client, we, we basically find out what their appetite is because this is important. You know, we know how to fix them. What we find is mm -hmm. sometimes they don't have the appetite. Sometimes it's budget, but most often it's really appetite. Like, well, gee, you mean we're going to have to, you know, hire four more people to reduce waste wait times on our inbound calls, or we're going to have to spend X amount of money on training. And do, are we really interested in that? Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of a negotiation once you present them the scorecards and then they, they, we kind of agree what they have the appetite for. And then from mm -hmm. there, the second process is building out the roadmap, the CX roadmap. And then once we build that out, we may build the infrastructure for them to create, to fill those gaps that we identified. And then oftentimes they keep us around for a few months to help them in the final deployment. So it's a diagnostic, diagnostic, a treatment plan in the form of a roadmap, and then there's a deployment phase. And usually the entire process is between six and 12 months, depending on the size of the enterprise. And then once they actually do take, you know, they start to implement all the changes that you suggested and they find that they're getting, you know, a much better experience or their customers are getting a much better experience. And I, I presume therefore they're getting much better reviews and I mean, do profits increase? I mean, what, what is the situation on that side of things? Yeah. So part of the assessment phase is we identify baselines, you know, how we identify current baselines. We, we also look very thoughtfully about, you know, what they want to do in terms of driving new revenue and scalable growth. So it's very much a sales and, and marketing discussion as part of this uh, body of work. And then we build out a pre-agreed matrix. You know, some people, they want to measure, I mean, you know, a lot of organizations, like I believe it's Accenture that has the net promoter scores. And so different people have different ways. Um, I, I think I would be aware of the consulting firm bringing their own <laughs> success matrix. I think you're better mm -hmm. off saying, look, here is um, a list of the different ways in which we can measure success based on your goals. Um, you know, help us select the one that you feel that really honestly does the best job to determine the impact that your CX initiative is having on you. Um, and that can oftentimes, it, it can be revenue. Uh, it can be cross-marketing. Uh, it can be customer complaints. It can be wait times. Typically in, in an engagement, there's eight to 20 different things that we like to measure. And uh, very routine. I mean, it's very predictable that we see meaningful improvements on whatever matrix we build out. Hmm. And you mentioned that you're often working with sort of medical related companies. Do you do a lot of different types of industries? Oh, yeah. So, you know, we've worked, uh, you know, I've worked with uh, in uh, in food and beverage, uh, in, uh, you know, uh, very much in hospitality, in technology companies. 
Um, it is true about half of what we do is in healthcare, but um, we're, you know, banking, credit unions, um, pretty much any industry that has a, uh, a very customer centric requirement for success. And, you know, so obviously that's going to be hospitality, food and beverage, uh, banking, finance. Those are the areas that uh, uh, that we tend to, to get a big amount of work from. And would that be mostly kind of major corporations or also smaller companies? We tend to work with mid to large size organizations, usually real large organizations. They don't feel comfortable working with uh, what they consider to be a boutique practice uh, mm-hmm. because it's a lot less risky for them and from their perspective to work with a, with a big firm like an Accenture or a Deloitte or whatever. Um, I, I find that in our practice, we do a lot of mop up. We do a lot of uh, sort of hazmat uh, mopping up on, over some of the larger consulting firms because, you know, oftentimes what I find, at least in my own experience, is uh, we're brought in after they've already taken a shot at this. So rarely do we get to come in from scratch. Almost always we're coming in to mop up after an initiative that failed, um, which is unfortunate because if you do a customer experience initiative and you do the right internal branding and messaging, you're going to get people on board and these people are going to trust you and they're going to follow you. And they want, you know, it turns out that especially millennial talent, they want to be involved in a mission that matters. They're very mission driven and they love missions that have to do with humans, right? They love the idea of making an experience better for a human. They're less interested in missions that are about sales and, and about cost reduction. They love missions that, that are humanistic and, if you launch an initiative half-baked and it fails, which it often does, um, unfortunately, now you are way below zero because now you have to get those great people that believed you and trusted you, that you were committed to an initiative. Uh, you've got to get them to, to take another swipe at it. And oftentimes that that's tough. You, you get a certain amount of resistance the next time around. And so have there been times when you've, your team, you and your team has made suggestions and it hasn't gone the way that was expected because of, you know, because of various reasons? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, you know, we, um, to a certain extent, if you want to do CX right, it's an innovation activity and Mm. innovation is research and development. And that means that we try stuff and sometimes the stuff we try doesn't work. So we take a pretty bold approach. And so, you know, let's uh, let's try. We recently did a project where we said, let's bring in, a, uh, let's build out a customer council for you. And we've done this very successfully in the past where we bring in a range of customers to participate. They're incentivized in various ways to participate in giving us feedback on how that the experience could be better. And uh, this, the one that we did recently, virtually every piece of recommendation we got uh, from the from these councils over a period of four months was really either non-actionable uh, or we tried some of them and they failed miserably. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, unfortunately, I think if you want to do this right, you, you have to encourage courage, you have to be brave, and you have to be willing to do things knowing that there is a possibility that they're not going to work out. Yeah. One of the things I often talk about on this podcast in previous episodes is how I, I try and encourage people to, you can listen to someone from a completely different industry from you and hear some ideas of things that they're doing in their industry. And then you can implement it into your industry and make something really unique. So 
I would imagine in some of the situations you've been in, you've because of the experiences that you've had, you've been able to go and talk to a, you know, a company and give them some completely different ideas from anyone else in their industry. Absolutely. That's a great point. And we, we learn every time we do an engagement, we learn uh, some interesting new tricks that we add to our toolbox. And, you know, we've seen things that have, um, uh, that have been done uh, in, in the restaurant industry and in other areas that we've applied into healthcare successfully and really vice versa. Um, we, we recently uh, uh, developed a program for a client where when the client checks out their last touch point, they hand them an iPad to answer a few questions. This is something we developed in the, in the healthcare industry, but we tried it out in a small chain of, uh, of sort of upscale um, uh, sort of lodges. And we found that it worked very, very successfully. What it was, it was a way for them to quickly, in real time, why they were there, take an iPad, and they gave, they gave them a discount on their room for filling this thing out, which literally took less than a minute. Well, what we found is that about eighteen uh, percent of the people uh, gave them, uh, you know, they had these smiley faces, right? We had the red frown face, like the worst rating. These were all very iconic. And uh, what was what we were able to do is that sent off a that sent off a alert where a CX specialist comes out now. If they wouldn't have done that, those people would have been on their way to TripAdvisor and TripAdvisor can make or break a hotel chain. So they were able to intervene, make the people happy because it turns out for every person that complains about how bad their uh, their experience was, there's about 330 that were equally mad, but they didn't bother to tell you. They just went onto a social channel and started blasting you. So yeah. we, we did that in healthcare. We applied it to hospitality and it worked really well because we were able to intervene and keep these ratings from going up. There's the thing that we talk about digital deflection, that mm -hmm. most organizations have about 30% of their sales opportunities are deflected because of some comment or some rating that is online. And mm -hmm. uh, online ratings for most, especially Customer experience sensitive industries are really, really important. Ninety-eight percent of customers begin their journey with what Google calls micro mobile moments. They begin it digitally, and if they see bad, they may be looking to get directions to your car lot, and they'll see a rating about the way somebody was treated, and it diverts them to a different uh, car dealer. Mm -hmm. uh, they could be, you know, it, it's interesting to see how much the impact of bad digital ratings are. So again, yeah, we, we, we call it cross pollination and it works very, very well. Uh, have there been any industries or, or companies that have uh, approached you for help that has really surprised you that um, maybe because of their reputation or just because they did something in completely different than you'd ever come across before? Uh, yeah, I, I, the problem I have is I'm, we have the we have these NDAs where we're not even allowed to mention the name of some of our big clients. Mm. Uh, they see getting help from a consulting firm like us as possibly a uh, brand damaging. You know, it could be looking like they have a problem. So I can't mention them all by by name. Um, yeah. I will say, you know, we've definitely. Uh, uh, there is, and I, I'm not sure I can mention their name. I will tell you there is one very, very large company that did approach us. Um, 
And with the because they knew that their reputation was uh, being destroyed and they were being they were being taken out by a new competitor. They just brought in a new president. But what was interesting is we decided not to get involved with them because they were trying to check a box. And, mm-hmm. and we knew that we could not win with them because they were not really interested in committing. And, and I watched them every day, their stock every day. Um, I'm not even sure this large organization makes it. Um, and, and, and you know what? It, it, it literally is their lack of commitment to fixing the problem that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's sad because it's totally fixable. But for some reason, you could, they, from our two scoping sessions, could determine that they were not committed. I get the feeling that this is a, it's re- really re- rewarding what you're doing here with all these different companies, how you're able to kind of turn them around and, and then give so many people a better experience, the customers, the, the staff and, and so on. You know why it is? I mean, this is, it's hard to do this kind of work and not see the, the philosophy in it all. Right. And mm. what's interesting about it is, is that, as I mentioned, you know, the overwhelming majority of, of uh, corporate CEOs think they're great. And uh, but when they compare that to the, what their customers think, there is that dysphoria, right? They're delusional. What mm-hmm. I love is that most of the time, people that reach out to us are very lucid. They and they're already good. I, I have to say that we have the great honor of almost always working with great organizations. And I, I think Mayfield Brain and Spine in Cincinnati is a good example because they were such a great organization. And for them to even question uh, how great they were based on their reputation was a little surprising to me because, you know, in the neurology space, they're rock stars. People fly from all around the world to go to them. And I just, what I love is being able to work with great people that want to be superstars. And that is really gratifying. But. That is so often the case, though, isn't it? In so many different areas, in in sport, entertainment, in you know, corporate, that the people who are the best realize that they need more help to 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 get even further. Whereas the people down the bottom just they think they're doing great. Absolutely. I mean, even in my in my speaking business, uh, you know, every year I'll hire another speaking coach and a comedy coach. I'll hire an acting coach. I'll, you know, I I. I live at a sustained level of paranoia that I'm not as good as I could be. And, and I think uh, to get to be really, really good where you're serving customers, you have to be, I think, first of all, you have to be really self-aware. And I think that's where the, that's the crux of the problem. Most of them are not very self-aware. Um, mm. They're not even, uh, I think, emotionally able to, you know, ask the kind of basic questions about their current state of value, not just mm. in their, experience but the technologies that they that they bring and and it, and it kills them i mean i look at gopro gopro uh company that i love and admire a great deal um everybody wants gopro to put in an audio mic input that's just mm. a simple technological thing if you google you know audio input on uh on gopro this this massive company that could easily fix this their community is screaming at them please fix this we love you we want to buy from you literally i just watched a video that said that very thing this morning and yet Mm. no you know here they are on the hero seven no audio input so you know you got to be willing to to listen to your community of customers act upon reasonable requests swiftly 
and and do what Disney uh, has taught us, and that is to 10x it, make it 10 times better than what they want. Mm. And when you can institutionalize that mind that mindset into your business, it's it's incredible the amount of prosperity and growth you enjoy. When we were talking before you um, before we started recording, you mentioned about you've got a couple more books on on the way. Do you want to mention those? Yeah, sure. I think the one that's in the near earth, that's uh, probably because, uh, you know, the other one's a little ways out, but I'll mention them both. I have a book that I, I've put a lot of love into and a lot of thought. And uh, it's, uh, gosh, it's been such an exciting thing to work on this project. You know, we live in a time of massive disruption. Things are changing quickly. We hear the term disruption all the time. And really what disruption means is the speed and the depth of innovation. So if that's true, and it is, then we need to be far better innovators. We need to find opportunities to transmute observations into value to our enterprise and to our customers. So I wrote a book called The Innovation Mandate, because I believe it is. I believe innovation today is a mandate for every organization. It doesn't matter if you're a multinational corporation or a muffler shop. You absolutely have to have innovation as part of your enterprise DNA. And so uh, the book is uh, done in the can, as we say, and it uh, is in it, it's in its way into production, and it'll be available in bookstores worldwide uh, in uh, fall of 2019. And then in fall of 2020, I have a leadership book that really talks about sort of the dysfunctional archetypes of leaders and how we can get just a little bit better and the impact of being just a little bit better. And the name of the book is One Step Ahead. And what was fascinating about that book is that it turns out if you can be 5% better uh, as a leader and as an enterprise, the impact that you can have on the financial dynamics of your enterprise, the way in which you grow and serve customers is incredible. Uh, that one is a little bit farther out, but the book's actually already done and, uh, and likely uh, publication date would also be fall 2020. Wouldn't I could imagine the situation where you said that the book is already written, but it's not going to be released for what, another two years. Yeah. But in between now, certainly in the next 12 months, you're probably going to have loads more ideas of how that book could be improved. Wouldn't that right. be sort of frustrating in some ways? Well, the good news is, in fact, uh, after this call, I have a meet. I have a production meeting with the uh, uh, with Harper Collins, my publisher for the Innovation Mandate. And the beauty okay. is, is that we're in production and working that manuscript all the way into late spring, maybe summer. So okay. uh, the good news is, is that a great publisher like a Harper Collins, they actually take a good book and they make it exceptional. I, I, I would be nothing without great editors and great production people. They take my shoebox and turn it into something that's really, really good. And so we get the advantage. In fact, I've already added, uh, I think I've added uh, 18,000 words uh, that I'm going to lay on them today <laughs> during the meeting. Right. So yeah, no, it's a great point and it should be evolutionary, right? And I think if you are, yeah. you should also have a, a format to be able to, uh, to have podcasts that are associated with your with your book. And we're launching a podcast for the book in, in spring of this year. So we'll always be able to provide updated information. Fantastic. Well, I mean, we're, we're almost coming to the end. So on the, the subject of exceeding expectations, I mean, do you have any sort of g general thoughts on the whole area? Well, I think that, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, it's not particularly expensive to be awesome. In fact, mm. it's really profitable to be awesome. The problem is, is that there are two problems. One is that most organizations don't know what exceptional is. 
mm-hmm. uh, as it relates to their customer's expectation. As you may recall in the book, I talk about the baseline level of expectation. Mm-hmm. Most people think if you know they're delivering a, uh, a plate of food at a restaurant at a fair price, then they're in good shape. That's not where superstardom lives. Superstardom is where you are constantly inventing new ways to blow their mind. And not just their mind, you're blowing the minds of many different types of customers. Some customers are really sensitive about the environment. Some it's all about the food. Some of it is all about the atmosphere and the way in which they're humanly engaged. If we can break down our customers into well-defined love-hate personas, as I talk about at nauseum in the book, um, and deliver beautiful experiences that are not fractional, meaning that the pre-touch, the first touch, the core experience, the last touch, and the way in which we stay in touch with them. If we can architect that, it's inexpensive to do, but the dividends are future readiness, great quality of work life, profitability, and ultimately happy customers that love what we're delivering. Well, Nicholas, it's been a, a real pleasure speaking with you. If um, people want to find out more about you and, and your books and so on, where would they go? Uh, nickweb.com with two B's, um, Mm -hmm. is my speaking site, which is kind of my catch all site. That's a a good place to reach out. And, uh, on a specific to customer experience, we also have a website called whatcustomerscrave.com, uh, that provides uh, a little more information about the range of work that we do specific to customer experience. Okay. Well, I'll put links to all of that in the, in the show notes. And I'm sure uh, our listeners are going to get, you know, so much, there's so much value they're going to get from what you've been just uh, talking about over the last half hour or so. So I've really enjoyed having you on, Nicholas. And um, yeah, I love your book. It's superb. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Nicholas Webb. And in next week's episode, we have another author, Jay Bear. He's uh, done some really good books, including Talk Triggers, which was released a few weeks ago, and Hug Your Haters. I've recently read both of those books, and there's some really good material that he goes over in those books and some, some angles that you may not have thought about. So that's something to look forward to in next week's episode. As, it, as always, I would love you to leave a review. Please go to, to the iTunes store and leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. Um, We have the Facebook group, so do join that. You can just search for Exceeding Expectations on Facebook. But right now, there's a promo for a podcast called The Genuine Chit Chat Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. I speak to a wide variety of guests, from travellers to musicians, to those afflicted with mental or physical illnesses. There's really no subject that's off-limits, from movies to politics, and even controversial topics ranging from sex to drug reform and political correctness. So if you still believe in the art of conversation, are intrigued by healthy debates with different ideas and perspectives you may not have thought of, and want a podcast where every episode is about something different with a variety of guests, then this may be the podcast for you. You can hear us on YouTube and all your favourite podcast apps, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So if you want to hang out and listen to honest conversations with interesting people, then come to Genuine Chit Chat, where I'm your host, Mike Burton. So just before we finish, once again, we have the Facebook group uh, for Exceeding Expectations. Do go on there, start some conversations about some points you've heard on this episode or from any other episode. Maybe tell a story about a time when you received some, an amazing experience that you didn't expect. And if you want, you can nominate someone that you would like to hear interviewed for this show. 
And if you've read a book on customer service, maybe write a book review um, about, you know, a book about customer service and over-delivering, etc. So I look forward to speaking with you next week and have a great week.